For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption. This is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Happy Friday Eve and good afternoon to everyone, except for all the Jew haters inside QP and inside the provincial NDP and on college campuses, university campuses, both students and professors, regrettably, and all the so-called pro-Palestinian supporters across Canada who took to the streets to celebrate the raping of women, the butchering of babies, the execution of Holocaust survivors, the murdering of young people attending a music festival. You're not uh, pro-Palestinian. You're pro-Hamas. Thanks for letting us know exactly who you are, how your evil minds work, and what, what, what is in your blackened soul. Uh, Michael Shermer is an American science writer. I've uh, interviewed him a few times when I had a TV show back in 2010, 2011. And he was on social media today and made an excellent point. He says comparing these Hamas butchers to the Nazis is unfair. 
to the Nazis. The Nazis knew that murdering Jews was wrong. And we know they knew it was wrong because they tried to conceal the fact. They did it in secret. Mostly in Poland at isolated death camps. And at war's end, they tried to cover their crimes by destroying gas chambers and burning documents. They denied it. They knew it was wrong. Hamas is bragging about murdering Jews, posting videos on social media and declaring Alu Akbar. Again, this is Michael Shermer. If you do not support Israel and the Jews, you are literally worse than the Nazis. He's exactly right. Also from Michael Shermer. Another post, this one's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, dark, dark humor. A Harvard University student left a lecture on microaggressions a little early so he could make it to the Kill the Jews rally on time. The university happily hosted the rally for mass murder and rape after being assured that no one would be misgendered. Yesterday, I mentioned the Air Canada pilot who showed up for work festooned with the colors of the Palestinian flag on his uniform. He'd also posted on social media his support for Hamas. He was grounded by the airline on Monday pending an investigation. He's now been fired. Good. It's chilling to think that people who think like that are responsible for hundreds of lives. And now we're learning that people who think like this pilot are mayors of cities and towns across Canada. They're teachers. They're presidents of large unions. They're journalists. They're cops. They're cops. That's right. I was going to say at least one Toronto cop, but now I see Joe Warmington, who's going to join us here shortly. Toronto has now identified two. Two cops. Special Constable Mustafa Ramanzadeh allegedly called for the destruction of Israel in a post to Instagram amidst calls for global jihad by Hamas. I'm reading this uh, report on rebelnews.com. Toronto police officer became the center of controversy this week after posting calls to destroy Israel on social media. Special Constable Mustafa Ramanzadeh allegedly calling for Allah to destroy the Israeli oppressors in a post to Instagram amid calls for a global jihad by Hamas. In a news release issued Thursday morning, Toronto police told the public of global online threats circulating on October 11th about events that may, may occur tomorrow, Friday the 13th. On Wednesday, former Hamas leader Khalid Musal ordered Muslims to commit jihad on the ground. Across the globe, he called Friday, October 13th, the Friday of Al-Aqsa Flood, the day for Muslims to show anger toward Israel and America. Mas'al specifically called for Muslims to compensate fighters for the destruction they've caused in Israel and apply political pressure to stop Israel's military invasion of Gaza. Funds are important, but today we are asking for your blood and souls to be sacrificed for Palestine, he said. 
As of writing, the Toronto police said there are currently no credible threats to Jewish communities in our city. With Hamas killing more than 1,200 Israelis and foreign nationals since October 7th, Toronto police immediately increased patrols in Jewish communities, including cultural centers, synagogues, mosques, and other places of worship across the city. People can expect to see a continued increased police presence. According to the release, local law enforcement are working diligently with the federal and provincial counterparts to coordinate and share information promptly. We're continuing to monitor the situation here in Toronto and will deploy our officers to ensure residents feel a sense of safety and security, they said. Again, this is Rebel News. Since Saturday, Hamas militants have bombarded Israeli towns near Gaza with thousands of rockets, prompting a declaration of war by Israel. With the death toll in Israel continuing to rise, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promised swift retaliation against Hamas and the Gaza Strip, which the latter has controlled since 2007. You know, Egypt also sealed their border with Gaza. Nobody talks about that. The country said a complete siege of the area had begun, including cutting electricity, food and fuel supplies. So far, at least 1,055 Palestinians have been killed due to Israeli bombardment of the territory. Again, that's a report from Rebel News. Incidentally, all of those Palestinian deaths, tragic, tragic deaths, those are on Hamas as well. This isn't payback. This isn't retribution, as some media are reporting. It's not revenge. Innocent Palestinians are dying. Yes, the IDF are conducting airstrikes, but they take extraordinary measures to avoid civilian deaths. To my knowledge, there is no other defense force in the world that drops leaflets to warn civilians to evacuate. They actually will call civilians on their cell phones. This is well known. I've talked to Israelis who volunteered with the IDF. They've confirmed this. I I met an Arab Druze who volunteered with the IDF, and he told me this as well. And we're often told about how the Palestinians are without water. We're told the Israeli government or the IDF cuts off their water. They have no access to drinking water. It's true that water pipes can be destroyed during airstrikes, but here's something you may not be aware of. Back in 2021, video footage emerged of Hamas terrorists excavating water pipes from the desert that were eventually fashioned into homemade rockets. And their main armament has been the Qassam rocket, which they assemble from, you guessed it, industrial piping, makeshift rocket fuel of sugar, potassium nitrate fertilizer, and some commercially available explosives. And of course, Iran also assists Hamas in setting up rocket production infrastructure inside Gaza. Joe Warmington from the Toronto Sun is standing by to talk about how Toronto police are preparing for potential terror tomorrow, which was called for by Hamas leaders. Hamas, again, calling all followers around the world to dedicate their blood and souls to Palestine. Don't think for a minute Hamas does not have ardent followers in Toronto and in Peel and surrounding areas. We, we all need to be vigilant. 
And if the number of people out celebrating the murdering, raping, murdering, raping, decapitating, torturing, kidnapping, burning of children, Holocaust survivors, young people, is any indication Hamas could have a, a number of disciples right here in our backyard. Think on that. Think about it. Alicantan Nantel continues his campus, uh, campus Watch series for True North. He'll be here, last order of business, to tell us about university professors voicing their support for anti-colonial resistance amidst the Hamas terror attacks. Open lines in hour two, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. You can call or text 289-275-9600. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, returns to the program. He's today's feature interview, and we'll talk about the economic impact of the latest Mideast war, how Trudeau-nomics is destroying our economy, and more. This hour, Coach Blade stands in defense of women, Jay Goldberg is keeping an eye on your money. More open lines this hour. You can get on board right now, in fact, at 289-275-9600. But first, Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun. How worried should we should we be for Hamas's call for global jihad tomorrow? The Richard Saracho off and running for Thursday, October 12th in the year of our Lord, 2023. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Well, this is uh, chilling, to say the least. Now we're learning there may be a second Toronto police officer advocating for the destruction of Israel on social media. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun, joins us once again. Joe, how are you? Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just every minute there's some new weird thing, and it's uh, a bizarre time. I mean, it's, it's it really is. So earlier I was reading about uh, the special constable Mustafa Ramanzadeh, who allegedly called for the destruction of Israel um, on in a post on, on Instagram. And now we're hearing about, uh, I think you're reporting on a second one. Do we know any other details? Well, we know he's from 23 Division, and... Obviously, I, I think he was the one. I put it in the column, whatever his meme allegedly was. Uh, I think it was the cartoon that sort of showed free Palestine, and maybe there was like uh, you know severed bodies and these kinds of things. I mean, you know what? Um, at, at this time, uh, you know, people that are taking these approaches after the Israeli, you know, public is in such uh, you know a state of mourning and shock turn around and sort of spit on the graves of those people that were playing inside of which I'm calling the second Holocaust, which is what it was. I just don't understand the equivalency uh, argument. There well, is you, know, it's, you know, it's sadly, it, and, uh, sorry, Joe, I was just going to say, sadly, we've sort of come to expect this nonsense from, you know, academia and now union people. But for, for, the, for those who have sworn an oath to protect, to serve and protect, uh, and that includes, you know, our people in the Jewish community, F- for those individuals now to be revealing themselves as Hamas supporters in this city, that is absolutely frightening. And they're not just doing it in a nuanced way. I mean, they're coming overtly, you know, it's it's pure hate. And, you know, we, we obviously, I, I did the story about the airline, Air Canada pilot, and, you know, that was shocking as well. And, uh, 
And now you're right, uh, the police uh, have this problem, and they're doing a good job. That's the thing that really is sad about it, in that, you know, this chief uh, Demke, he's a new, a new chief, he, you know, he's been really good. He's, he's held briefings. His briefing today was outstanding. Uh, the other day, uh, Deputy Chief Lauren Pogue, uh, you know, uh, sort of explained how this is going to go and what you can and can't do. They're communicating well, and yet, you know, amongst their own ranks, they've got to deal with, with these. And one, it's one police officer, one special constable. But look, at Toronto Police Professional Standards investigates all of it. So, you know, maybe we, we should wait and see what they come up with. Is it possible their accounts were hacked or whatever? I think if they were, we'd know that by now. I think that's the first thing they would tell us. But I reached out to all these players in it to see, including the officers, to hear their side of it. But it, it sure, it, it, it does shake you, you know. Like, I just I just can't believe what I, I hate writing this stuff. And I can't believe uh, what I'm witnessing. So what did um, Police Chief Demke basically say? I mean, he said there's no credible online threats to the Jewish community in, in Toronto. But what else What else did he say? How is How are the police prepared Well, I think he, 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 he's got a tricky job in that, you know, he can't just not do anything after the Hamas uh, founder said what he said. And, you know, it's not like just today. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but they arrested three young people that were at a Jewish school today. And they allegedly made threats towards the school. And then they left. They were caught at a plaza nearby. So, you know, they've been arrested. I don't know what the charges are. But, you know, that's an indication right there that you know, this was uh, minutes after Demke got off the uh, podium. And then this happened. So, you know, like, it, it, it's a volatile time. And, like, you know, uh, I think every time I hear anybody say, yeah, but what about this or that? Uh, you can't have that argument when you've got people's arms and legs and heads severed from their bodies. 250 kids at a music festival and all those families and babies. And I mean, it was a genocidal event. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that other things aren't important and things that happened last year, et cetera, et cetera. But it's hard to, to go there when you're dealing with what we're dealing with right now. And I think that that's the first thing that the politicians I think they've tried to explain it. I think Prime Minister Trudeau has tried to. But I also think that they're, you know, they, they get sort of drawn into this thing that somehow there's two sides that need to be dealt with. There, there really isn't. There's one side, there's humanity, and then the other side is evil. And the evil is Hamas, not the Palestinian people. No. Uh, it's it's Hamas. And uh, it's not the Muslim people. No, if it's you want Hamas. to, I've said many times, if you want to march, um, for a, you know, a two state solution, uh, in Israel, Palestine, that's fine. If you want to protest peacefully against what you see as the illegal occupation of, of the West Bank settlements, if you want to protest because you think the Israeli government is, is doing something wrong or corrupt and, and Lord knows, you know, there's lots to criticize there. That's fine, but not on a weekend when Hamas, as you say, committed this genocidal act of, of barbarism. That's not the time uh, because all you're doing is you're, 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 you're setting back the Palestinian cause. Who knows? Maybe decades. Oh, I think it's set back now. I, I don't think there's any question about it. And, I, you know, and I think that the war that's on now and will continue to be on, uh, not just the propaganda war, but the fighting war, I think that it has potential to be you know, I mean, like, you don't forget something like this. And and it's like, so this is going to be really ugly or potentially, hopefully not. 
I don't I don't know how you get peace. I mean, you can't you can't do a peace agreement with someone that slaughters your kids. No, there's no peace. There's no negotiation. You can't negotiate. You have no No. peace partner. And, you know, and everybody forgets. I mean, like I'm no expert on the Middle East. And certainly I have been to Israel and, you know, I've gone through it. Like anybody that goes there, you hear all the different things. And I met the people on the Gaza side, the West Bank, et cetera. But Gaza was handed over, you know, basically handed over, including the businesses and everything else. It's not like the Israelis haven't gone, you know, great lengths to try to to make things work there i mean they've handed over all that land there exactly and so, and yeah there's other dis- disagreements but like you, you know i keep hearing people say oh well they it's an apartheid well i mean no it, it, it isn't i mean it, it just no. isn't it's it's complicated and there's certainly you're right richard you can have a debate about it negotiations uh, we all have to do that but, you, you, you know at this time i'm not interested in hearing about a- any kind of sympathy at all as you said, these barbaric, uh, you know, horrible, murderous scumbags. They're basically the Nazis in 2023, and this is a second Holocaust. It's the most Jewish people, and of course, there's not just Jewish people. There's, you know, there's obviously Muslim people and Christian and everything else, and several from Philippines and different places that just got caught up in this. Yep, Canadians. It's, it's the uh, Canadians. It's Americans. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, largest, uh, uh, you know, slaughter of. Jewish people in one day since the Holocaust. So what do you call that? It's, uh, it's, it's awful. All right. Well, we'll be, uh, we'll all be a little bit nervous, I think tomorrow and uh, everyone needs to be vigilant and take well, precautions. I don't want to, I don't yeah, want to. So I am, I am nervous. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. I am, I am nervous because I'll tell you why I know that Hamas, I know what they're capable of, you know, and we all know that's, understandable we're, we're concerned the police are on it and it's a good police service it's a good they've got a good plan but it's really hard you got to be right all the time as you know when it comes to security you you know you make one mistake the the terrorist doesn't have to make a mistake they just have to get it through once so there's that it's going to be very stressful but the thing that really does concern me more is the people that are aiding and abetting this by saying mm-hmm. you know someone like Jagmeet Singh who puts out a tweet saying well we need a ceasefire and we need, you know, uh, there's two sides to this and we need to sit down. When you do that, you're basically saying to Israel, I am stabbing you in the back. I'm telling them that you're equal with these murderous people and you're not allowed to, to fight. Say what you want. We're very critical of him, but he, he has stood up so far. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.
and he's said the right things. And I think he's been, uh, I think he's been the best leader in the world on it so far. And that that's hard to say, but but uh, <laughs> that's right. what I'm. If he let's see if he sticks with that. Okay, Joe. Great work as always, and uh, be safe tomorrow and every day. Thank you so much. Always great to be with you. Hopefully, it's a happier subject next time. Take care. Joe Warmington, Toronto Sun. All right, open lines. When we come back, we'll just have a few minutes. 289-275-9600. Back with your calls right here on The Richard Serrett Show. Let's get back at it on News Talk Saga 960 AM. It's The Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600, and we begin with uh, Eric in Brampton. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Richard? Well, thank you. That's good. So, yeah, pretty much uh, about tomorrow, um, you know, heaven forbid anything happen. Uh, first, how many people at these protests would be involved with anything, or people that just looked across the border when, you know, Trudeau left it open and just said, come on in, undocumented. How many of these people slipped through? That's a great question. That's a great question. And the southern border in the United States, uh, which is wide open. Uh, and they're not just coming Europe, from Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras. They, you know, they, they're, they're stopping people from Syria and China and uh, you name it, um, Iran. Uh, these are young men. These are not people. These are not children, married people with families. These are young men pouring across the border. Who knows? Who knows? It just and it, it's crazy to think. And then again, who, who who do we blame? Who do we blame? Well, <laughs> when it comes to lack, you know, um, lacks uh, border security, you have to you have to blame who's. You know the, who's presiding over this? You have to pre- the, the federal government, and then here in in yeah. in Toronto, the local scene, when we have people celebrating on the streets, basically uh, indicating uh, their allegiance to Hamas. Um, you know whether they're not. If if something happens tomorrow, and as you say, God forbid anything happens, but. It, it, these people, even if they don't involve themselves with anything, they're also um, culpable because they're they're lending their moral support to it. You know, if they're saying it's fine what they did over there in in Israel, then they they must also be fine with it happening over here. So I I will uh, I'll I'll go so far as to say anybody who's out on the streets celebrating, if anything happens tomorrow, even if you're not indirectly involved, you are involved. Eric, thank you for the call. Uh, let's yeah, see. You have a good one, Richard. You too. All right. Let's say hi to uh, Thomas from Georgetown. Thomas, welcome. Yes. Welcome, uh, Richard. Uh, yeah, I just want to mention, I, I don't have a smartphone, but I haven't heard anything about the fact that this is the, 30, uh, the 50th anniversary of the Israel's Yom Kippur War in 1973, October. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's been mentioned. I mean, a number of, um, well, virtually all the news outlets talked about that. I mean, the parallels between, it was um, it was about a day later. I think Yom Kippur started on October 6th. This was in the wee hours of October the 7th. So basically, yeah, 50 years. Uh, there are a lot of interesting parallels, um, you know, both taking place on a on a one of God's appointed days, Yom Kippur, and then uh, October the seventh. That that was uh, was a Simchat Torah, which is um, another another holy day. Uh, I'm sorry, I wish I had more time for you, uh, Thomas, but we are out of time, and uh, we'll uh, we'll open up the lines again in the second hour when we come back. Jay Goldberg, Canadian. Taxpayers Federation's Ontario director is keeping an eye on your money. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960. You're listening to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. You'll forgive me if I don't think about monetary policy. The budget will balance itself. The fastest rising interest rates in 30 years. Fastest inflation in four decades. When will the government realize the Canadians are out of money and the party's over? All right, welcome back. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, is keeping an eye on your money. Hey, Jay, how are you? Doing well. Great to be with you. So we are on the eve of the City of Toronto's um, new budget, 2024 budget, and um, you're basically calling on Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow to freeze property taxes and user fees. Um now, this is going to be maybe a surprise to many people in the 905 who believe that Torontonians sort of get off easy when it comes to uh, the tax burden. They say, well, they don't pay the property taxes that we pay out here and, and so forth. But you kind of uh, you're here to disabuse them of that notion. Um, let's talk about the Toronto tax burden as it exists now before any anticipated tax hikes from Olivia Chow. Exactly. So the numbers I was looking at are the John Tory numbers. So what were taxes like uh, at the beginning of this year, 2023, compared Toronto to other municipalities? Because we've often heard, as you said, uh, that a lot of people think that, well, folks in Toronto don't pay very high property taxes. The tax burden must be lower. But if you actually look at the overall tax burden, so I look at property taxes, I look at user fees, And I also look at other taxes, which includes a municipal land transfer tax, which Toronto residents have to pay. And it's roughly a billion dollars a year. So I went ahead and compared Toronto with four other municipalities, Ottawa, Windsor, London and Hamilton. And what we found was the average resident in Toronto will pay roughly three thousand four hundred dollars in municipal taxes. It's two hundred dollars more than someone in Ottawa. $700 more than someone in Windsor, $800 more than someone in London, and $1,200 more than someone in Hamilton. The land transfer tax is a big reason why, but also home values are a lot higher. So even though property taxes are assessed as a percentage of the value of the home, because home values are higher, actual real taxes paid is higher. So let me ask you about the land transfer tax, because that only applies if you're if you're um, buying a home, right. Or selling a home. Yep. Um, yes. so that, I mean, is that fair to bring that into the equation? Because, uh, you're, you're adding that and then dividing it by what the, the city population, or, I mean, how does that, doesn't that kind of, um, I don't know, distort the tax per capita if you include the land transfer tax? Cause not everybody pays that. 
So, well, first of all, if we took out the land transfer tax, you would still see Toronto ahead of every other city ah, other okay. than Ottawa. All right, good but I should also add with the land transfer tax, uh, the important thing is that we're trying to look at what, are the, what is the tax burden on Torontonians. And so even though you may sell your house once in 10 years, once in 20 years, the amount, the dollar value you pay when you sell that home is exponentially high because it's 1% of the value of the home. So even if you're only doing it, if you spread that out over time, well, how much per year, say across a 20-year span, is this land transfer tax costing you? That's still costing taxpayers dearly. And so, um, again, that's affecting anyone who sells a home or property, but we're averaging it out to try to find out what is the tax burden that is on the Toronto taxpayer, uh, and then how do we look at it on a per capita basis? All right. And the total tax burden in the city of Toronto, I'm, I, I can't believe my eyes, $9 billion, $430 million, $9 billion, $430 million. They've got $9 billion, $430 million to play around with in, in terms of revenue, and they're still in the hole. My word. Exactly. Yeah. $9 billion, $400 million. And on top of that, we've got about Five billion, four, four, four billion nine hundred million, but very close to five is property taxes alone. So Toronto taxpayers are paying five billion dollars a year in property taxes, and yet Mayor Olivia Chow is looking at increasing them significantly come twenty twenty four. Is a municipal sales tax still on the table, or has has that been decided against by the council? So the council voted for a municipal sales tax overwhelmingly. And, but the thing is, they have to ask the province for permission to do so. And if the four government says no, they don't have permission to do it. Uh, Premier Doug Ford has said he's not going to allow that to happen. But he's talking about a so-called new deal for Toronto, uh, which essentially would mean he's trying to figure out a way for Olivia Chow to raise taxes less or asking the province for less. And what that will probably mean is that Ontario taxpayers are going to be giving more money to the city of Toronto so that Toronto doesn't have to impose something like a municipal sales tax. So I think actually taxpayers all across Ontario who are not in Toronto should be very concerned that Premier Ford, it's a good thing they're not looking at a municipal sales tax, but he might be looking at giving general money, taxpayer dollars from all over Ontario to the city of Toronto specifically. Another bailout, in other words. Uh, a long-term bailout, not yeah. not just a one-year bailout, but a so-called new deal, which would mean a, a perpetual bailout of the city of Toronto by people everywhere else in the province. That's right. And in folks in Ottawa, Hamilton, London, Windsor, you're all going to be paying that. All right, Jay, well, we'll look forward <laughs> with some trepidation, obviously, to the unveiling of the uh, 2024 municipal budget in Toronto. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, taxpayer.com, taxpayer.com. Check out the newsroom. Jay, thank you so much. You have a great rest of the week. You too. Coach Blade standing by to stand in defense of women right here on the Richard Serrett Show. That's coming up next on Saga 960. Back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM.
All right. I'm just going to jump in here. Sometimes I can't hear the music playing. Uh, all right. We are going to stand in defense of women, but also we're standing up for children. And uh, Coach Blade, sports performance coach, Cosbar's representative on women's sports and co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. Coach Blade, welcome once again. How are you? Thank you, Richard. I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Um, so I'm trying to understand this uh, new ruling from Hockey Canada, which is kind of oversees minor hockey. Uh, and it has to do with tightening um, rules in the dressing room for minor players. And this would be, I guess, from, you know, Adam, Pee Wee, Midget, all the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with what they call accommodating gender divergent players. So what is changing in in the dressing rooms in minor hockey as a result of this rule? Well, let me just summarize and say Hockey Canada had to bring in a rule using cloth, a piece of clothing to cover up for a disastrous policy on gender expression. So they bar- they installed a policy that says anybody can identify in whatever gender or sex they want to compete and be in any locker room they want, dressing room they want. So once they've said that, they've opened up a can of worms. Uh, and so now, I mean, in their gender expression policy document, they do recognize biological sex. They even are correct in saying biological sex has the same status as in the in human rights law as gender identity, and then the rest of the policy is only profiling gender identity. So because you would have children of mixed sexes in the different dressing rooms, now they have to cover that up with a piece of cloth because now it's possible some child is in the in the dressing room of the opposite sex, and now that has to be somehow respected and cared for. So then they, they've... Uh, it's called a base layer. It's uh, they have to, you know, hockey players uh, have to wear a base layer, which is shorts or t-shirt, compression shorts or shirts or sports bra uh, underneath their uniform, so that when they shower, they're still not showing any flesh, I guess. And I mean that. I mean, in some ways, that's probably the only thing they could have done to cover up their first mistake. Now, um, in some leagues. It's, and at some age groups, boys are already playing with girls, uh, the, you know, a mixed team. So it's like, um, what do you call that? Uh, co, um, it's co- co- it's mixed. Yeah, yeah co-ed. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you have to make accommodations there anyway, right? So you would have, you right. know, in a change room, you would have a separate dressing room maybe for the for the girls. Well, the, the of boys course. So why don't Listen, they do that? It's just always on the basis of sex. The dressing rooms were always done on the basis of sex. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how you identify Every human being does have fundamentally one of the two sexes. And if they don't feel comfortable in one of those two or calling themselves either of those, there was always the third uh, dressing room or third space option. And it still is included in this new policy. So why make all this trouble? Why not just say born male, you change in the male locker room and born female, you change in the female locker room. And if you don't feel comfortable, go to a third space. But Instead of coming up with something logical like that, they have to do what they call making they're, they're all this language. Like we have all athletes have a right to access safe, inclusive, equitable dressing spaces. Well, it's not safe if you mix. It's not inclusive because a lot of little girls will self-exclude. I know that. 
And it's not equitable, equitable because it, in some ways, the way this plays out, it, it makes people, let's say, of certain religious groups, certain people aren't going to be as comfortable as everybody else. So why don't they just keep it sex-based? Exactly. Maybe they need to change it instead of calling it uh, women's sports, mm-hmm. biological female sports, biological male <laughs> sports. Yeah, I mean, that's essentially what it meant. And, you know, uh, women who are human females like me, adult human females, we don't really want to give away the word woman. We know what that means. That's an excellent point, yeah. And, I mean, everybody does know what it means. Even the people who identify differently, they want to either identify into it or away from it. <laughs> so the people know what women, woman means, but when we try to sit down and define it as female, then they, they get all pearl clutchy. Yeah, no, that's you're right. I, I, I take that back. That's a bad idea because Riley Gaines pointed this out recently. The um, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer mm-hmm. said we should we yeah. should stop using the term biological female because that suggests that there's an there's another kind. Yeah, there's only there's one kind. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The NHL is uh, mm-hmm. going to ban players from using uh, uh, pride colored hockey tape on on their sticks. Right. Uh, so what's going on here? They recently sort of backed away from, you know, uh, having warm up pride, warm up jerseys. Uh, and now they're they're saying no, uh, no pride hockey tape. What's going on? Yeah, I just think that um, they went through the, the the whole route of having special days, recognizing special groups and having the pride, you know, jerseys. And then <clears throat> obviously there were some people and some players who had other ideologies or other religions. And that makes sense. Like if you start to make, you know, naming certain days ideological, this particular um, religious affiliation, uh, then other players won't want to participate in that. And so I think it is true. Just keep, you know, keep religion out of the sport in that sense. Um, Pride, the pride movement has become a religious ideology and the pride symbology just doesn't belong there. Just like you wouldn't want to make, force athletes to put, you know, some sort of uh, Catholic Catholic tape or or Buddhist tape or Muslim tape. I mean, whatever, like it, leave it, leave it alone. Like, just leave it alone. It has nothing to do with uh, the sport, the whole beauty of the sport. I always say this. The beauty of sport is that we've never selected athletes on the basis of their religion or their politics. Just play, play the sport, leave it out of there. Exactly. Exactly. I think fans have had enough as well. Exactly. Uh, and if you want yeah. you know, to, if you want to celebrate or acknowledge uh, pride or whatever, you you know, you can do it off the rink. There's yeah. ample opportunities. Uh, and yeah. besides, wh- who do you think? What do you you know? What are you what What are you uh, furthering by by putting on a pride jersey or you know putting pride tape on your stick? Do you think that's actually you know making anything better? You're changing anything? You know, it's not really. It's, does nothing. It's virtue signaling is what it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And okay. it's using sport. It's using sport yeah. to promote an ideology. Right. And sports is supposed to unite, not divide. Yes. Exactly. Point. I'm just going to point out one other thing. And I meant to mention this when we were talking about the um, uh, the dressing rooms and so forth. And you mentioned, yeah. you know, a third option. You could have boys dressing rooms, girls dressing rooms and a third option. And yeah. it seems to me there was recently a couple of sporting uh, organizations which took your advice uh, and included an open category. Yeah. And surprise, surprise, no one showed up because we know well, that's that was in swimming. Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although in the running world, the non-binary category has been utilized 
to great effect because they're offering the same prize money for non-binary and trans category. And of course, uh, it turns out that men who, who are not very good runners end up self-identifying as non-binary and having a good paycheck in the non-binary category. So even the females that want to identify as men, they still don't rise to the top in that middle category, right? Because it's on the basis of sex. I mean, there's no way they can compete with the guys. But in the swimming, they offered in the swimming world championships, they off, or maybe it was European championships, they offered an open third category and nobody took advantage. And it just makes our point that they wouldn't want to use that middle category because it the whole point of a male self-identifying into a woman's category is to use women's sports to assuage some sort of uh, ideological orientation and exactly. to, to try to promote, prop it up. Right? Exactly. And, and that's erase, the thing, erase, using it. Erase women. And uh, yes. they can't make that point. They're not interested in participating because that's their be all and their end all. It seems like that's true. Linda Blade, sports performance coach, Cosbar's representative on women's sports, co-author of Unsporting, How Trans Activism and Science Denial Are Destroying Sport. Coach, you have a great rest of the week. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Richard. Same to you. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. All right. When we come back, hour 208, Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, will be here. Open lines, 289-275-9600. And Ali Cantan-Nontel from True North will be here to talk about university professors in Canada voicing their support for, quote, unquote, anti-colonial resistance amid these barbarous Hamas attacks. Back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window. Open it, stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Meaning we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Of 
Welcome to Hour 2 of The Richard Serrett Show. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot. But don't despair. Still plenty of great programming coming your way, including Campus Watch with Elie Canten-Nantel from True North. We'll talk about some professors, university professors, who are voicing their support for what they call anti-colonial resistance amid these Hamas attacks. Open lines as well. This hour, you can get on board anytime right now, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. You can call and you can text. Well, the surprise attacks last weekend, Hamas, barbarous terrorist attacks on Israel. We know about the uh, incalculable human tragedy But it's also having uh, impacts elsewhere, uh, and that is a surge in the global benchmark oil price. It's now uh, around $88 a barrel. How much higher could it go? And uh, there are other sort of economic impacts as well. The U.S. dollar is gaining as uh, traders are seeking a haven after the uh, the latest Mideast war. We're going to get into that and uh, some other financial aspects. Jonathan Wellam is president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, and uh, we're delighted to have him back on the program. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you very much, Richard. It's great to be back on the show. Uh, Let's let's start with the price of oil. $88 right now. Uh, I've heard some suggest it could go as high as $130 or $140. What are your thoughts? Well, there's no question it could go to 130 or $140. I mean, the problem, the problem that we have is that uh, in the developed countries, I mean, uh, Canada, United States, and other sort of the Western markets, which uh, can produce an, an awful lot of energy, we've shut down a lot of our production. We've actually um, taken, we're decapitalizing our industry, and uh, particularly in Canada, but also to a certain degree in the United States. And this makes us very vulnerable. And so when you have an attack in an oil-rich area like the Middle East, which we've seen just the last week or so, then uh, it's going to put, uh, you know, uh, uh, crimp some of the supply coming out of that area. This could also involve Iran, which is now producing three to four million barrels a day, which is funding, uh, you know, that's, uh, that corrupt operation there. And so what it does, it, it means that we've really lost pricing power uh, in the West, uh, under Trump, uh, the U.S. was a swing producer, so they controlled the price. And so what's happening now is um, the price is being set now by OPEC and the different Arabic countries along with Russia and so on. And so the price could de- definitely escalate quite a bit. Now, they don't want to uh, you know, you know, probably disrupt it so much so that you're going to start to destroy demand. But uh, um, there's no question uh, Putin's made this obvious that the price is going to stay high. He wants that money to come in. And so we have done this through just poor, poor management of our own resources. And we've made it we've exacerbated the problem. I mean, clearly, um, you know, we didn't you know, you don't anticipate some of this to happen in the Middle East. But uh, uh, we, we we've been caught with our strides down. We've been caught with tremendous you know climate change agenda policies, ESG, all of this, which is just destroying our our oil sector. 
And that makes us vulnerable. You know, at the same time, as you know, and you've talked about this on your show, uh, Biden's been raiding the uh, strategic petroleum reserve. So he's taken it down from almost 600 million barrels down to 340 million barrels or so. That's like that's that's basically um, 16 days of U.S. supply. I mean, the U.S. uses 20 million barrels a day. So. The, you know, the, the oil producers outside of um, the Western world uh, see this as a huge opportunity. And so we are very vulnerable. So prices could could definitely go higher. We'll have to see. And increasingly, that oil not traded in U.S. dollars. What what effect could this have on, let's say, the North American economy? One hundred and forty dollars a barrel oil. What effect on, uh, on our economy uh, in Canada and the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., you are getting a slow trend to de-dollarize, so to, to, to stop using U.S. dollars in the trading of all commodities. And that, that is a longer-term trend that's been going on for some time. This just speeds it up. The countries are uh, not happy with the U.S. The U.S. is not showing any kind of global leadership whatsoever, particularly under the uh, current regime. And so it gives them the incentive not to trade in U.S. dollars. And what that does is it you know it puts pressure on um, the U.S. dollar over time, and it also means that uh, the U.S. U.S. can't shove their you know treasuries and their 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 their, their standard of living. I mean, basically, you've got a government that's you know running a two trillion dollar deficit right this year. This is in a growth year. They're running a two trillion dollar deficit, which is about seven percent plus of GDP in supposedly a good year. Um, well, they the way, the way they can get away with that in some cases is basically people have to buy U.S. dollars to be able to do trade. So they sit on their treasuries um, to the extent that uh, they're not using the U.S. dollar. It's going to be harder and harder for the U.S. to fund its, its budget deficits without printing money. And then, of course, that's inflationary. So, yeah, there's a whole vicious cycle that's emerging that's not good for the U.S. and certainly not good for Canada either as a uh, partner of the U.S. and linked um, right at the hip with them. The, the, as you say, the de-dollarization is kind of a long-term project with the BRICS uh, countries. In the meantime, though, the U.S. dollar getting a bit of boost, a bit of a boost from this crisis because traders always, you know, seeking a, a haven, uh, and the U.S. dollar is where a lot of that's landing. Exactly. I mean, one of the, the advantages the U.S. U.S. has is that the alternative currencies. Think about the alternative currencies. Do you really want euros? I mean, euro land is in a recession. It's not doing very well. That's all sorts of problems over there. Do you want yuan? I mean, absolutely not. Do you want the Russian, uh, the Chinese currency? I mean, there's no way anyone in the right mind would want to be sitting on yuan. And so, when you actually go around the world and you look at the alternatives, the yen, the yen is collapsing. I mean, the yen is down 30, 40 percent in the last year to the U.S. dollar because of their exceptional indebtedness and uh, aging demographic uh, in that country. So, so the U.S., despite all the problems and despite all the you know the, the ridiculous things that they're doing. Um, um, still is treated as a safe haven because it's liquid and you can get in and out of it and it's an open market. And uh, and so they still have that advantage for the time being. So, uh, yes, erosion, but it is a slow erosion. And part of that's the alternatives are horrible. There are horrible alternatives. Jonathan Wellam, president and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, rocklink.com, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C, rocklink.com. Well, closer to home, let's talk about uh, our banks feeling a lot of pressure Twenty percent of the mortgages, uh, you say, are negatively amortizing. That's a TD Bank of Montreal, CIBC. What, what, what do you mean by that? Negatively amortizing? Yeah, it's, it's quite 
interesting to see this. Uh, and, and maybe it's not a surprise given the rapid rise in rates and the fact that Canadians, before we had the rapid rise in rates, were heavily, heavily indebted. And so if you're heavily, heavily indebted and your mortgage debt is already high and you have to turn over the mortgages, you know, basically every every, you know, once, at least every five years, but a lot of people are turning their mortgages over more than that, or they had adjustable rate mortgages. What's happened is the rates have skyrocketed and TD and Bank of Montreal and CIBC in particular, uh, Royal Bank says that they don't allow negative amortization of mortgages. What's happened is they've adjusted the payments for their clients to the extent that the current payments don't even cover the current interest cost. And so that means when we say negatively amortizing, that means the balance that they owe is actually going up every month. And so this is a very, very bad trend. And you have uh, literally 20%. It's about about 18% on the books of TD, um, 22% on Bank of Montreal, BMO, and 19% on CIBC. And so what what this is telling us is uh, Canadians are under an awful lot of pressure. The other, the other component of that is that about 20% of the mortgages in Canada are on 35-year amortizations. Um, and so that's also, um, that's also a major problem when you think about amortization period. I mean, are you ever going to own your home? Are you just really just a quasi-renter at that point? And so Canadians are under pressure. And what that means from our investment perspective is we're not really thrilled to own banks because we think banks will be taking write downs and loss provisions and things like that. Uh, Not just, you know, not just in mortgages, but also even commercial loans, uh, real estate. And there's a whole. That's unprecedented in Canada, isn't it? I mean, we think of our banking system as being the most stable in the world and what happened in the U.S. during the uh you know, the housing crisis could never happen here. Could it happen here? I mean, I know this, the situation is different. It's not the same, you know, type of thing. But as you say, negative amortizing, write downs. If, you- if, we hit, if, we, if, yeah, if we hit a real air pocket and we went into a serious recession and serious uh, decline, um, which could happen. I mean, we're, we're faced with uh, global geopolitical challenges right now. And housing prices were to drop more than they've already dropped. Um, and you were to see a 15, 20% uh, drop in prices from where we are now. Yeah, that would be, that would be catastrophic for, uh, for the banks. That would, that would be very, very difficult for the banks. And um, yeah, I think you'd want to be, be careful. Again, I'm not saying the banks are going to collapse, but um, you could see the, uh, the erosion of equity value, 50, 60, 70%. You can see substantial drops. Now, again, that's under the assumption that, um, there's quite a, you know, quite a, uh, a bang in the global economy and that uh, has ricochets into Canada. I mean, our real estate, as everybody knows, is grossly overvalued. We live in a country with very few people relative to our land mass, and yet we can't get them into homes. And again, regulations, bureaucracy, corrupt governments, incompetence um, has, uh, has really caused a lot of problems, plus immigration policies that are just too aggressive in terms of ability to assimilate the types of numbers that are coming into the country. When you put all this all together, this is a self-inflicted wound. And, you know, on, on top of the government spending and the socialism, uh, inc- you know, the creeping amount of government that's basically taken over almost half of our economy, you know, that's what happens. You you lose, you know, product, you lose productive value and um, you lose your wealth and um, you increasingly have increasing prices and in inflation. I mean, it's, it's classic what we're seeing in this country. Um, it's, it's textbook classic socialism and poor decision making and incompetence. 
Jonathan Wellam, President, CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C.com. We'll take a quick timeout back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Jonathan Wellam, President and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, stays with us. Rocklink.com, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. Um, some more items to discuss, but uh, before we get to that, Jonathan, maybe just tell us, give us kind of the origin story, if you will, of Rocklink, who you are, why you are. Yeah, I mean, I got in the industry back in 1990 after spending, uh, you know, quite a bit of time at school and, and doing the typical degrees, you know, MBA and uh, CFA and so forth. And I got involved in, in the mutual fund industry with uh, Michael Leachin, who's uh, become you know much more known in the country. Uh, little AIC, it was a small little company. I uh, was fortunate to come in at an executive level. We built that up until 2009 when we sold it to Manulife and just had a lot of fun building that uh, mutual fund company. And, um, and then I started Rocklink in 2010. And um, I started that in order to just more or less just do private wealth management, uh, dr- dr- you know, manage money directly for clients and do it in a very disciplined, uh, long term way. So we're, we're value investors. We really like to focus our attention. We buy a limited number of stocks. So we're not all over the place. So we like to specialize and then focus on businesses that we think are well positioned. That's why when I'm talking about the banks and some of these areas, you know, just because the banks are 30 percent of the TSX index doesn't mean you have to own them. And um, in fact, probably not a wise idea to be heavyweight in the banks given the current environment. So we like to get focused much more of a Warren Buffett type of approach by buying excellent businesses and good industries and then trying to compound those over time. And compounding is important in Canada where you're taxed so heavily. Um, it's important to defer your taxes and compound those deferrals and your overall after-tax rates return go up substantially if you're not trading in and out of stocks and generating gains constantly. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, I think this is kind of good news, um, and that is BlackRock have been one of the driving forces behind ESG, environmental social governance, and pressuring. You know, they get on the boards of large corporations and they pressure them. Uh, I don't know if they're on the board of Disney or, or whatever, but, you know, we see the end result here. We see this wokeism and, and by and large, that's Larry Fink. But he is since backing away, it seems, from ESG. Uh, I was reading where um, BlackRock just supported 26 environmental social governance proposals uh, in the 12 months leading up to last June. Uh, so this is declining, declining support of ESG. What are your thoughts on that? It's fantastic news. I mean, it is declining. I mean, we, we refer to ESG as extortion, shakedown and grift. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> I mean, it's got nothing to do with the environment in a positive sense. And social, it's more just, you know, certain social behaviors. And when it comes to. Um, you know, governance, which is supposed to be the G. I mean, you're talking about diversity, inclusion and equity, again, which have nothing to do with proper fiduciary responsibilities and hiring the best and meritocracy and companies. So what's what's happened is they push this left wing woke you know, uh, cultural Marxist agenda through ESG, and it's been damaging. And so there's been lawsuits and there's been a lot of pushback by um, people saying, hey, wait a second, 
this isn't maximizing our returns. How are we going to pay our pensions if we're investing in different areas and making investment decisions that aren't generating the kind of returns necessary to pay our pensioners and our different policyholders? And so you've had the state of Florida and the state, a number of different states, state of Texas and so forth, um, go after uh, ESG policies and say they're not going to put any of their pension monies into um, asset managers that are, you know, basically going along with this ESG. And so that's the that, that's the good news. The good news is that they pushed it. It's been harmful. It's taken returns down. It's not allocating capital in a fiduciary way, according to our, any of our Western laws and the way we're supposed to be managing money. And it's coming back to haunt some of these folks. And there's lawsuits and there's different challenges. And so they're starting to back off. And that is good news. Because uh, the ESG, uh, it sounds good, as you know, people use, you know, use words, but you have to define them. Once you define these terms and you look below the surface, it is cultural Marxism. It's a destroying of our Western you know, capitalist system. And uh, it's great to see uh, the pressure on Fink and him backing off. All right. We'll take another time out, uh, Jonathan, when we come back. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about Rocklink and your Kokomo fund. Jonathan Wellam, President, CEO of Rocklink Investment Party uh, Partners, rocklink.com, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. And a few minutes remain with Jonathan Wellam, President and CEO of Rocklink Investment Partners, rocklink.com, R-O-C-K-L-I-N-C. And a little bit later this hour, open lines at 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. You can call or you can text. Okay, so let's talk about Rocklink and uh, the Kokomo Fund. This is a, a kind of a unique opportunity for investors to get their money outside of the Canadian banking system. Yes. I mean, uh, after the Emergency Act was pulled there back in uh, February 14th of 2022, uh, and then we saw the freezing of accounts and just saw the overreach and also the hearty support basically of our banking system. I mean, they didn't really push back at all. I think only Scotia, I think only Scotia Bank actually issued an apology. But at any rate, um, a lot of our a lot of our clients said, well, you know, what should we do? And one of the things that we tell our clients is that if you can hold assets outside of your own home country, maybe it's real estate and maybe financial assets and so on, bank accounts, that's an, that's an advantage if it's possible. And so what we did in order to facilitate that and make it easier for some of our clients is that we started a fund that's that's uh, based in the Cayman Islands. Um, and uh, Cayman Islands are known as one of the safest places to invest. It's a British overseas territory. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think 70% of hedge funds are registered there, large ships. Uh, you know, wealthy people have a lot of their assets registered there for good reasons. And so we started a fund uh, last late last fall. And it's, again, a high quality 20 to 25 stocks uh, currently, we're about half cash, so we're just being very careful and deploying the deploying the money very slowly because you can you can make more money on cash now anyway, and it allows individuals to have money in great investments, safe safe positions, in a wonderful jurisdiction that's well regulated. And again, these are it's not about hiding it from the Canadian government; it's about having it outside of their reach. 
and um, it's all audited, run by you know uh, you know top top accounting firms, uh, legal firms, and so forth. It's all constructed uh, as safely as possible, and we've also done it very cost effectively. So you know the minimum is a hundred thousand US, um, and uh, so that's reasonable. And um, the other thing about that is we don't have performance fees. It's just a flat management fee. So we've tried to make it very competitive. It's not for trying to you know, make us wealthier. It's really just giving our, our investors an option for them to have some money outside of the country. So uh, we're excited by that. We have money going every month into the fund, and we're just building it now nicely and very carefully in, 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 the, current, uh, in the current environment. Right. And again, as you say, this isn't tax evasion. It's not even tax avoidance. It's just getting your money outside of the banking system. You still have to report, still have to pay taxes. It's just it's it's no longer that easy for the Canadian government, uh, you know, to, you know, freeze bank accounts like they pulled during the Freedom Convoy. Um, And so but you're so the money is sort of domiciled in the Cayman Islands. But the companies that you're investing in are still heavily North American, right? Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Yeah, so very much so. These are high-quality companies, so they'd be domiciled uh, throughout uh, largely North America. We have have the odd company that will buy this based in Europe, but we're really looking for uh, companies that are in uh, very safe jurisdictions. I mean, we like like the North American-based or European-based because these companies are doing business all around the world anyway, so they give us global exposure. It's just that you can look at the whites of the CEO's eyes. You can phone them. You can, you know, we have better contact. uh, All the reporting is in English or, you know, things that we can read. So that's important uh, to us because we want to be close to the investments to understand them well. And so we're very careful about just investing in, you know, a company that's just in the Far East and only in the Far East uh, or, you know, a Chinese company or something like that. Those, there's a lot more risk profile. We don't need to do that. We just need to have 20, 25 great businesses at good prices and uh, we'll do just fine. And good prices because uh, these are um, what areas that are, maybe have been kind of hammered a little bit because of, I don't know, things like oil and gas or, or um, uh, precious metals? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we, we look at the market indexes and uh, they've been propped up to a certain degree by, you know, seven to 10 large tech companies. And that's just the reality of it. Some of those tech companies are great businesses. I mean, Apple, Amazon, um, those are great companies uh, and so forth. But we don't have to own those. If you go below the surface, there's actually been a fair bit of carnage. And if you think of one area that we're actually you know, trying to really uh, just rope into just carefully, but that's the utilities infrastructure area. Why would that area have been beaten up? Because interest rates have skyrocketed. And when interest rates go up, it drops the value of high dividend paying stocks and also stocks 
that require, um, you know, debt on their balance sheet. So if you think of, you know, telecommunications or you think of utilities, you think of infrastructure companies, um, they do carry a fair bit of debt to offset their capital expenditures. And so their cost of money has gone up and the stock market really has hammered some of these companies way more than they should have gone down, way more. I mean, so, you know, we just one company, for example, uh, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, Brookfield runs, a, you know, some very good businesses. That, that, that stock is off at least 30 percent from uh, its high and yet they've termed out their debt for the next uh, 10 plus years um you know in 90 percent of their debt is all fixed fixed rate debt i mean they're not being impacted they can adjust prices they have inflation adjustments and so on so there's some businesses that are in sectors that normally get hit hard but they themselves have really built a fortress-like balance sheet and business model. And therefore, if they go down as much as a weaker company, that's a great opportunity. So there are a number of opportunities like that in the market because underneath the surface, there's a lot of stocks that have gone down 30 to 50%. And uh, some of those are great businesses, and they've just been thrown out with the, uh, the bathwater, so to speak. So it's not it's not about going chasing the shiny new thing, the trend where, you know, you could get lucky and, and you know, hit it big. It's about uh, good, dependable things, as you say, infrastructure, uh, energy, uh, agriculture. Yeah, I mean, the energy, because we did talk about the oil prices right at the uh, outset of our conversation. I mean, if you look at the energy companies we have in this country, I mean, Suncor just roped in and bought more of the uh, oil sands. They practically control most of it now. Um, that that company's trading at very attractive prices. I mean, large dividend, rebuying, you know, repurchasing stock. Um, the, the, you know, I, without getting into a lot of technical numbers, I mean, free cash flow yields that are um, double digit. So, you know, they're, I mean, when you think of a tech company, you might have a free cash flow yield of 2%. Um, Suncor might have 10, 12%. Meg Energy, um, CNQ, Canadian Natural, some of these other ones, if oil goes to $85, $90 where it is now and stays here, they'll have free cash flow yields that are 15, 16%. I mean, they're printing money, these, these organizations. So um, if the government wants to curtail um, development, then what are these companies going to do? They're just going to, you know, they're just going to sell out of their current production. And that's a lot of, that's very profitable because they're not putting as much money into future um, capital spending. And so uh, the oil industry in Canada is uh, very profitable and a great place to have some money invested. Absolutely. It's also largely a hedge to inflation too. I mean, oil typically uh, acts as a, a pretty good hedge to inflation. So if our governments continue their, their 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 crazy policies of spending way more money than they should and getting the central banks to, to fund some of it, then uh, again, you're, you're you're somewhat protected by that also, which is good. But very good values, yeah, very good values. Don't don't you know this country? I mean, we've got some great businesses, and and they're, they're tr- many of them are trading at some pretty good prices. So if uh, listeners want to find out more about the Kokomo Fund or how RockLink Investment Partners can uh, help them with their investments, they can go to the website, rocklink.com, email info at rocklink.com, and uh, they can call 905-631-5462, 905-631-LINC, 905-631-5462. L-I-N-C or 5462. Jonathan Wellam, President and CEO. Jonathan, great speaking with you again. Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you very much, Richard. 
Yes. All, All right. right. Open lines. When we come back, 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Call or text back with more of the Richard Serrett Show right here on Saga 960. Just having a little chin wag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga 960 AM. I have. I have opened the door. 289-275-9600. 289-275-9600. You can call or you can text. 289-275-9600. Someone texting here. Please uh, include your name. It's always nice to uh, to call out a name. Just a first name and where you're texting from or calling. Um, hey, Richard, what's wrong with giving peace a chance? Absolutely Nothing. Nothing is wrong with giving peace a chance. But in order to give peace a chance, you have to have a viable peace partner. And Hamas is not a viable peace partner. They have stated as much in their, their charter. It's called the Covenant of the Hamas. They don't believe in negotiation. They don't believe in peace talks. Their stated goal is to obliterate Israel off the map and to kill every Jew. It's right there in black and white. And if there is a Jew hiding behind a tree or a rock, the covenant said, they pray to Allah that the tree and the rock will expose the Jews. This is Hamas. How do you negotiate with someone who doesn't want to negotiate, who refuses to negotiate, and their only interest is in destroying the state of Israel and in killing all Jews. It's been said many times, and it is true. If Hamas were to lay down their arms, there would be peace tomorrow. If Israel were to lay down their arms, there would be no more Israel. 289-275-9600, 289-275-9600. Steve in Whitby writes, the provincial government should follow Jordan Peterson's suggestion and defund the universities by 25%. I agree. I might even go further. Why are we funding these horrible indoctrination camps with their bloated bureaucracies? These administrators, every year the administration grows and grows and grows. Taking in more foreign students so they can charge them full freight because they're not subsidized. And stuffing their pockets and building more administrative buildings. Doing nothing for students. Except churning out generation after generation of cultural Marxists. I might entirely defund the universities and colleges until maybe at least they start hiring. Whatever happened to diversity, diversity of thought? How about hiring some truly conservative professors? 
uh, Peterson's talking about forming a, or, or creating a um, an online university, which I think would be great. You don't need to brick and mortar universities. Two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred two eight nine two seven five ninety six hundred, and again you can call or you can text. Let's say hello to Will, who's calling from Kitchener. Will, go ahead. Well, I'm uh, actually closer to Petersburg, but never mind. All right, welcome, um, Richard. Yes, Richard, great, uh, long time, long time fan of your show and uh, what you're doing. I appreciate it. First of all, um, regarding the war in Gaza, Israel will win the war. That's there's no question, but they will lose the war of public opinion because they are they will go into they will go into Gaza and with the bombardment as they are now, and then they'll go in with the troops and go door to door. They're going to try and keep civilian civilian casualties and so forth as low as they can and so forth. There will be what you might call collateral damage, but it will take time. And the public, general public, is going to lose patience and the humanitarian crisis that's happening is going to escalate and Israel will lose the PR battle, I think, at the end. That's my opinion. Well, you may be right, Will, although, you know, they've been down this road before. Um, They don't seem to be concerned about the PR war, which is good. However, I think this time may be different. Maybe I'm being naive. It may be different. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The backlash now, um, you know, after this horror, after I think there is a now a a, a, a um, an understanding that Hamas <laughs> to say they went too far is is a is a ridiculous understatement. But they crossed the line in so many ways, and I think that's being now understood. Um. I'm just reading here the uh, the Daily Mail piece about a, this real pushback developing for for some of those students and student organizations who cast their lot with the terrorists of Hamas, publicly blaming Israel for the war. And uh, a dozen CEOs, a dozen more CEOs have endorsed a call by billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman to blacklist those students. His plan specifically addressed Harvard students who blamed Israel while the group whined about being persecuted in the aftermath. This is uh, the Daily Mail reporting. 
The report said CEOs from Easy Health, Belong, FabFitFun, Inspired, Dove Hill, and others have joined Ackman in outing the students. They're canceling them. Ackman was blunt in his plan. One should not be able to hide behind a corporate shield when issuing statements supporting the actions of terrorists who we know, who we now learn have beheaded babies, among other inconceivably despicable acts. It was uh, Harvard's Palestine Solidarity Committee that affirmed its support for Hamas. So, seems to be a pushback. So maybe this time it's different. I don't know. I hope, regardless of how the lamestream, downstream, bought and paid for media or prostitutes, as Gerald Salenti calls them, I hope they just disregard that. I know they will. They got to do what they have to do. And that means hunting down every single last member of Hamas like the rabid dogs that they are. When we come back, Ellie Cantenantel from True North will tell us about some of these professors voicing their support for anti-colonial resistance amid the Hamas attacks. That conversation is next on The Richard Serrett Show. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Earlier I was talking about uh, a special constable and a uh, Toronto cop who uh, are being investigated for their social media posts, basically in support of Hamas. Imagine that. A peace officer being who has sworn an oath to serve and to protect, harboring those evil thoughts. We talked about the Air Canada pilot who's been fired, thankfully, for harboring those evil thoughts. Imagine having 350 lives in your hands and you harbor those thoughts. And we have Hamas's call tomorrow for basically a global jihad. These people running around in Canada, in Canada. Well, it doesn't stop there. Of course, we know about Ontario CUPE Union President Fred Hahn and his despicable views. There are also college and university professors who harbor these same evil thoughts. And uh, here to tell us more, Ellie Cantanantel, a reporter with True North. Ellie, welcome back. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay, Richard. How are you? Very well. Uh, tell us about one in particular, one professor from Wilfrid Laurier University. Right. So um, the woke left, which claims to be feminist, claims to be queer friendly, pro LGBT uh, against violence, is out here uh, cheering on a, a group, Hamas, um, that is fundamentally anti-gay, that is uh, as embraced Islamism, which is not a, a ideology that supports women, and this terrorist group that has gone and attacked innocent Jews in Israel on the basis of decolonization and under Marxist belief that the Palestinians are the oppressed and the Israelis are the oppressors. And as a result of that, of course, on college campuses, you're going to have professors tweet stuff out, including uh, professors who are not from Palestine. So there is this professor, Jessica Hutchinson, and she describes herself as a white settler abolition feminist. And she claimed that Palestinians were taking their land back from settler colonizers. That was reported by the National Post. Her Twitter account was locked quite after. And she also said that we should include Palestinian in land acknowledgement rituals. 
uh, because they're taking again their land back from those settler colonizers, which, you know, I'm assuming she's referencing to the Jews in Israel, even though uh, Israel uh, is the homeland of the Jews and the Jews are the indigenous people of Israel, but apparently they're colonizers, according to this professor. So she wants Palestinian land acknowledgements uh, at what, at the beginning of every class? No doubt she'll be. Do we know whether Professor Jessica Hutchison at Wilfrid Laurier University is now? Oh, she's a professor of social work. Ah, go figures. Go it's f- a very left wing. It's a very oh, yeah. left wing. You know, social work, sociology. Uh, they're probably the most left wing uh, gender studies, the most left wing uh, departments on any university. Did I mean, did she at least temper her remarks by condemning the uh, the murder, rape, torture committed by Hamas before she went into this rant about Israeli colonizers? Did she temper those remarks at all? Did she mention Israel and the victims? So I reached out to her for comment, as I did with all these professors, and she did not respond in time for publication. Yeah, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Uh, University professor... Well, political science assistant professor, Yuakia Mali or Mali, uh, tell us about this individual. Right. So this is a, a man. He's a Hawaiian, and he's really into Hawaiian decolonial activism. He's shared tweets uh, that say that I'm not uh, American, I'm Hawaiian. So there's basically a movement in Hawaii to decolonize, and, and they, they believe they're not. Americans, and, and this is a again where you see the the contrast. It's just somebody who um, is interested in feminist and queer theory, and is out there uh, denouncing the country in the Middle East that is a safe haven for LGBTQ people, where women are treated equally. He said he stood for the decolonization and deoccupation uh, of Palestine and for its freedom, and he called on all Hawaiians to ally with Palestinians in their fight for a supposed freedom. Decolonizing, thats to me, that's a euphemism for um, any means necessary. How do you decolonize? You get rid of the so-called colonizers. How do you do that? You murder them. Well, I mean, I'm not going to uh, speak on behalf of these scholars, but what I will say, and I at first, when, a few years ago, when I first got into politics and I first heard the term free Palestine, I assumed that it meant they wanted a two-state solution. Free Palestine, we want our own state. That is not what they mean when they say free Palestine. When they say free Palestine from the river to the sea, from the Jordan, they mean they want the obliteration of Israel. They believe everyone in Israel, the woke left, they believe every person in Israel is a colonizer and that Israel should become a Muslim country, essentially. And we know these people who call themselves feminists and allies of LGBTQ people. I am sorry. I, I, I have nothing against peaceful Muslims. I have a lot of Muslim friends. But when you look at Muslim-majority countries in the Middle East have Sharia law, and you look at where they are on lists of human rights organizations when it comes to the rights of women and the rights of LGBTQ people, they are not at all near the top. They're actually near the bottom. And in Gaza, they kill gay people. They use women and children as human shields. So how can anyone who claims to be an ally of LGBT people or a feminist go and support a terrorist group? The, 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 Hamas is, is not even... Like, Hamas is a terrorist group that a lot of people in Palestine despise, but they're, they're, so, they're so into this indoctrination that 
you're just going up with whatever is the current thing, even if it means going completely against the people that yesterday they claim to fight for. Well, this is ultimately how cultural Marxism and wokeism specifically implodes and collapses when exactly when everything is everyone is defined as an oppressor and a victim. When one so-called victim suddenly realizes that they're not uh, simpatico with someone else who claims they're a victim um, and they have nothing in common, in fact, then the whole thing begins to unwind and implode. It can't happen soon enough. Uh, Ellie, thank you for, uh, for this great work as always. Oh, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Ellie Canton Nantel, True North. Support independent media, tnc.news, tnc.news. All right, that is it for me. My thanks to Jody. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again, God willing. I'll speak with you at four. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.